Amen. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thanks for coming. Thanks to all the family members that are here enduring the loud music and things like that. So um, I'm thankful for my family. I have some family members here, my aunt, my uncle, my grandmother, who's been in ministry for 50 years, and my, my mother as well, and uh, some other miscellaneous family members. Uh, but uh, yeah, I forgot their names, but um, yeah, we're close, we're close. Uh, I, I trust that your holiday uh, uh, this uh, week was, was good and that it was eventful. We had an incredible time uh, over Thanksgiving, um, Thanksgiving morning especially, um, just serving our community together. And if you weren't a part of that, you missed out. God will judge you for that, and you will... Uh, but one of the things that we uh, really enjoyed was we had so many people from our community um, that are not affiliated with our church, that are not uh, Christians, that came and served alongside of us. We got to rub shoulders with a lot of different people from a lot of different walks of life. So that was a huge, huge win. Uh, most notably, uh, the, the school, um, what's, what's her role again? Office manager, yeah. Uh, the office manager was there, and she got to be a part of uh, what we were doing, she served, and was it was just fantastic having her there. Um, long story short, she just said it was such an encouragement uh, for us to be there, to be serving alongside of her, um, as it, it's a tough job, what she does. She manages uh, much of what's happening at the school there. So just be assured of this, that God is doing something in and through us at uh, Richmond Elementary. We're hoping to have more bright spots throughout our city um, as time goes on. As I've stated before, we have a, a soccer club that's going on there. We're uh, beginning a, um, a mentorship program. Uh, one of our employees, um, Emma, one of our staff members, uh, Emma, who's, who directs our children's area, she is actually serving over there uh, part-time, setting up this mentorship program. So we are really uh, you know, making some headway in being outward in our city and uh, serving our city with our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure. And so th this is an awesome thing. So thanks for being a part of that. That's really cool. You can turn in your Bibles to James chapter 1, and we're going to pick it up again in verse 19. Um, we've been walking through the book of James, and what's, what's going on with James is that James is uh, this guy, and he's very concerned about how we live our lives. He's concerned with, with that, that what we say matches with what we do. And so many times, we're people who are not really concerned about that. Some of us are deeply rooted in the gospel, and that's a really good thing. But the gospel hasn't taken root, and as a result, changed us from the inside out. And so what's uh, taking place often is that we become people who are churchgoers, and, uh, and yet our life doesn't show that we are churchgoers. And people around us would say, you know, I don't really know that that's uh, taking place. But what James says in verse 18, it says this, of his own will, talking about God through Jesus Christ, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And that first fruits idea is this idea that once you become a Christian, what's, what's happened there is, is that God is the one who's done this to you. So you can't take credit for it. And so what happens is this, is that a real Christian is somebody who has humility. A real Christian is somebody who is humbly uh, receiving grace from God, not somebody who is pridefully saying, I'm a moral person, and so therefore I have a lot to offer here, and look at me and look at my life, which so often we see in the media. We see uh, big Christian figures who have fallen and who have had massive fallout in their churches or whatever through affairs 
or what have you, embezzlement or all kinds of things. You know Christian friends who claim to be Christian and then they left their wife or their husband. You know people who are businessmen who claim to be Christian or, or women, I should say, as well. This is uh, uh, 2015, right? So uh, we, they're all types of people. And we say they, they say that they're a believer, yet their life doesn't match up with that. But really, this is uh, an idea that kind of pervades through our society that uh, what's going on is that we oftentimes are not people who are assessing ourselves correctly. We think about ourselves and we say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I've, I've got things figured out. Like when I go to the mirror in the morning, one of the things that happens is this, I'm assessing myself. I'm assessing what's, what's happening there. But then uh, when, I, when I walk away... I, I kind of forget some things about, about me, and, and James is going to talk about this in a minute, and I forget some things about me, and so I don't really do what I need to do to make myself look any better, and then I come back to the mirror, and I, and I forget about how fat I'm getting. You know, like I'm, I'm getting a little bit heavier. I had too much brisket. I had too much, uh, you know, uh, what, prime rib, and uh, I don't think I had any turkey this year. It was all red meat. It was a fantastic Thanksgiving for me, um, but... Uh, you know, I, I forget these things about myself. I, for, I forget, and then I, I walk away, and I think, you know, I'm, do, I, I'm thinking I'm my 20-year-old self, and so I'm walking around, through, uh, uh, around in life thinking I can eat the same way, and yet at the same time what's happening is I'm deteriorating uh, <laughs> from the inside out, basically. And oftentimes we do the same thing. We look at ourselves, and we don't self-assess correctly. What's taking place oftentimes is that we're saying, you know, we always give ourselves a way out. We always say, you know, I, you know I, that, that part of my life is okay. That's not really that big of a deal. I, I'm, I'm just going to let that one slide. I'll give myself a mulligan on this one. Or I'll, I'll, I'll kind of I'll, I'll fudge a little bit here or a little bit there. And we really just forget that we're, we're to be people that are improving all of the time. We're to be people who are continually improving. And yet what takes place is that we're not really improving because we're not accurately self-assessing or self-reflecting on who we actually are. And so as a result, what takes place is that we slip further and further away from where God would have us be. In our own culture today, we have this very same problem. We hear it all the time. The name of this series is, is James, Don't Follow Your Heart, because it's the antithesis of everything that our culture is telling you and I. What we tell uh, each other is that, you know, in order uh, to self-actualize, in order to be who we're supposed to be, then we, we need to love ourselves just the way that we are, and we need to keep moving in that direction. In fact, uh, David Brooks, in his book, um, The Road to Character, quotes a couple of different people. He says, Ellen DeGeneres put this in a 2009 commencement address. She said, my advice to you is to be true to yourself, and everything will be fine. Just, just do what you think that you should be doing. As celebrity chef Mario Batelli advises graduates to follow your own truth expressed consistently by you. Anna Gwendolyn uh, urged another audience to have the courage to honor your character, your intellect, your inclinations, and yes, your soul by listening to its clean, clear voice instead of following the muddied messages of a timid world. Each one of these is essentially saying that you are the definition of what should be happening with you. In order to be who you're supposed to be, you just need to listen to yourself. And then the last one here uh, from Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, she says, uh, she wrote that God manifests himself through my own voice from within my own self. God dwells within you as you yourself exactly the way you are. That's, that's pretty interesting. 
as Christians, we oftentimes just kind of give ourselves a pass and just say, you know, I'm doing fine. Jesus went to the cross, and that's, and that's great. And yet we don't really work on ourselves. We're not really uh, doing great self-assessment with us. As, as the world, oftentimes what's being stated to us is that you're fine just the way that you are. In order to be who you're supposed to be, you should just listen to that inner voice. But yet our culture so foolishly at times forgets that there are many, many people who are self-actualizing the way that they think that they should be living, and yet they go on murderous rampages. They cheat on their wives and on their husbands. They mistreat people. They cheat people out of money. And these are people who are doing what they believe to be true as they see it. They are a God unto themselves. And really, when you think about, about it, all of us are. Even people who claim to be Christians even people who say, like, I, I'm a be- believer in Jesus Christ, and yet there's nothing to back that up. There's nothing in there. And what's happening is this, is that there's really no self-confrontation going on. There's no amount of self-confrontation that's saying, you know, this is happening in me, and this is taking place, and yet I, I'm not really doing anything about that. We're not really even looking at that. We're taking advice from the world, and we're saying, I just need to be me. But I can guarantee you this, that there's probably people in your life who would say, you know, would you just kind of stop being you for a little bit? Like, because that's really irritating me. You probably dealt with that at Thanksgiving dinner, right? Probably some people like, I I realize that you are who you are, but I'd like you to be somebody else right now. Like, I've got to sit next to you for a couple of hours. And uh, so that that would be nice. Could you just go ahead and do that for me? And I'm not saying that, you know, happened at my uh, dinner table. But, uh, you know, there's people I've heard of that that's happened to, but. We oftentimes think everyone else needs to change. We, give every, we, we, we tell everyone that you know, their sin sucks. The stuff that's going on in their life is a problem, but the stuff that's going on in my life doesn't need to change. I minimize my sin, and I maximize everyone else's sin. I minimize what I'm doing, and I maximize what everyone else is doing. And so what's happening in our world is that things are going from bad to worse. People talk about the political atmosphere. I, I, I make a point. Uh, very frequently of speaking um, against both political parties. And part of that is to irritate you. And part of that is uh, because it's true. It's, it's true that both political parties, or the two major ones, Republican and Democrat, both have some serious things wrong with them. I'm not going to go into them right now, but both of them have some serious things wrong with them. And so often, uh, Christianity is, see, is seen as uh, the religion of Republicans. But what we miss so many times is that both sides of this are just missing each other. And there's something that's happening where one just feels like it's so right and the other one feels like it's so right. And yet they both believe that each other are so wrong. And yet both of them have some elements that are wrong and both of them have some elements that are right. Our world is going from bad to worse. In your marriage, in the midst of that, you, you're, you're, if, if you're in a marriage and you're, you're having difficulty uh, within the context of your marriage, so many times you might get into a discussion. It's never happened in my, uh, my home, but you get into a discussion and both of you feel like you're right. I feel like I'm right. You know, I, you know, so what? I said it like that. I was just telling you how I felt. Yeah, well, that hurt my feelings. And I, I'm just, I've heard about these conversations before. But, I, you know, I'm, I, you know I, I, uh, and we keep going at each other, and we just keep missing each other. Like, what is the cure for this? How does your marriage get better in the midst of this? How do your relationships 
at your work get better? How can you be somebody who's experienced the new birth and yet what's taking place in your life is that you're, you're increasingly getting along with your workmates or with the people around you, the people that you're in relationship with in your marriage. Uh, how does it happen that we can become people who are friends with people who are of another political party? How do we become people who are regularly uh, engaging our culture and able to connect with them on a level of deep friendship? Well, James is going to talk about something here which I think is so incredibly important. He's going to talk about what it looks like to actually confront yourself. And when you begin to confront yourself, what takes place is this, is that we begin to become people of character. We become people who are growing in character. We become people who are, are more aware of what's happening in our lives. We're more aware of what's taking place and the way that we treat others. There's a humility about us. But the one thing that's going to keep you from doing that is the level of pride that so many times we have. It's a, le it's, it's a level of pride that says, I know what's right. I, I know how this should go. I know what should take place. And yet, we don't listen. And that's exactly where James uh, begins here with this little section. He says in verse 18, he says of his, uh, I'm sorry, verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now James just got done talking about how uh, because of the new birth, he brought us forth, it's a birthing analogy in the original language, he brought us forth by his own will and for the purpose that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, that we would be a down payment on God, that we would be God, that we'd be Jesus to our neighborhood and to our people. But what's taking place is that there's anger that gets in the way. Now, why is James bringing up anger all of a sudden? I believe what James is doing here is he's saying, let's just kind of note what's going on with most of us. All of us experience the emotion of anger. Every single one of us experiences the emotion of anger. And we're consistently plagued by this at times. For me, I've said before, it's when I'm driving or it's when the kids are like at this like shrill level of screaming in our house with our wood floors. There's no padding. I do want to put them in a padded room. And I, I just, or maybe I should go into the padded room. I, I'm not sure, but it's just like I, I start to get frustrated and I start to get angry. And why is James bringing this up? He's saying, here's an emotion that all of us have had in the past. And this emotion tells us something. It shows us that this does not bring forth, this does not produce the righteousness of God. It doesn't produce this first fruits. It doesn't produce this righteousness with God. But so many of us have problems with anger. You see it on Facebook when somebody says something that you don't like. And, and we can oftentimes reply to that. Or we can say hurtful things to the other side, whatever the other political party is that's not associated with us, and we, we can throw lob grenades at them and criticize them. Or we can criticize these people or those people. We get angry when we speak in these ways, get angry in the midst of our marriage, and we say hurtful things that we never should have said to our wife. Guys especially, you need to be aware of this. You say things so many times that cut deeply. I say things that cut deeply. And we don't understand it. But James says this 
Here's what really should be happening in your life. You should be quick to hear. And so often, I am slow to hear. I'm slow to hear my wife. I, I don't want to listen. I think that I know what she wants or what she thinks or what have you. And I just want to jump to conclusions, just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got this handled. Don't worry about this. But here's the thing. I am slow to hear. And then I'm quick to speak. I'm quick to just start speaking and just blab whatever. And, and I, just, I just say things. And so many times our anger takes over, doesn't it? Our anger takes over, and we know how to get at that other person, whether it's just a, a, a friendship, a, a relationship, especially within the midst of families, that we know how to get at that person. We know how to push their buttons, and so we do that. You can do that at your work. You do that at your school. You do that everywhere. Every single one of us struggles with this, and James is showing us this, and then he says, and then slow to anger, and so many times. I sit there and I say, you know what? I know that I'm right, and I should be able to say whatever I want, and I should be able to do whatever I want, and so I'm very quickly brought to a level of anger that is not honoring God, and it does not produce the righteousness of God. So what James is showing us here is he's saying that as a result of this anger, it's not producing the righteousness of God, and therefore what's happening is I'm not fulfilling what God has for me as a first fruit as a down payment of God on our society as I'm ushering in the kingdom of God and I'm bringing about peace and restoration. That's what we're doing at Richmond Elementary is we're ushering in peace and restoration and kindness and forgiveness. This is what we're doing, but our anger keeps us from that. So James wants to bring that forward in our minds and he wants us to know that we oftentimes get angry and what takes place is that we're not loving people. We're not loving the people around us. And we're not acting like a first fruit of God. Verse 21 says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now what's he, what is he saying there? I mean, it just seems so disconnected here. He's talking about anger. And then he says, this is what actually needs to take place. What needs to be taking place in your life and in my life is that we've got to put away, we've got to take off these clothes that are filthy, the, this rampant wickedness. Now, if you stop right there for a second, in some way or another, that is kind of confronting us a little bit, isn't it? It's kind of saying, hey, you're somebody and I'm somebody who has a tendency towards filthiness and rampant wickedness. Remember this, that James is speaking to people who are Christians. These people are believers in Jesus Christ. And he's saying, because of his own will, he's birthed you. You've become something new. This is how you need to act. Now, as a result, you need to put away these things. There's good news right there. And the good news is this, you may be somebody who received Jesus Christ and yet you haven't taken off those grave clothes yet. You haven't been somebody who has put away these things. And he says, you've got to put off this stuff, this filthiness, this rampant wickedness. And then he says to receive. Some of your translations may say accept. Accept what? Accept this with meekness the implanted word, 
What he's talking about there is he's saying, you've got to accept something that, that was from the outside, and now it's coming to the inside, and he calls it the implanted word. When you become a believer, what takes place is this, is that you, you may be somebody who's somewhat moral before you become a Christian, but there's something extra, there's something additional. There's God's word to you that's coming on the inside. It's a new conscience. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who comes in and begins to convict us. But what takes place so often is that we don't accept that because of this. We don't receive it. We don't accept it with meekness. Now, what's this meekness idea? Meekness is the idea of humility. It's the idea of this humility and gentleness that essentially says, yeah, I need to hear that. Yeah, I need, I need to grow in that. It, our entire world is telling us, don't accept this stuff from the outside. You, you just need to listen to your inner voice. And James, in a way, is kind of saying the same thing, but it's not your inner voice. It's the implanted word of God that's coming in, and it is telling you something about your life. It's saying something to you that says something needs to change. The way that you get out of being this person who's angry and who's lashing out at everybody and saying, I'm just self-actualizing, I'm just becoming who I'm supposed to be, the way you get out of that is by saying with humility, I don't know. But how difficult is that? How difficult is it to come to a place where you say, I don't know what's right. I don't know what I should do. Uh, David... Uh, Foster Wallace is a novelist, and he said this at Kenyon College in 2005 at a commencement address. He said, everything in my own immediate experience supports my deep belief that I am the absolute center of the universe. The realest, most vivid, and important person in existence we rarely think about this sort of natural, basic self-centeredness because it's so socially repulsive, but it's pretty much the same for all of us. It's our default setting, hardwired into our boards at birth. Think about it. There is no experience you have had that you are not the absolute center of. The world as you experience it is there in front of you or behind you to the left or right of you on your TV or your monitor and so on. Other people's thoughts and feelings have to be communicated to you somehow, but your own are so immediate, urgent, and real. Here's how we come to God's word in us. We've received everything from our world, world that says you need to self-actualize. Everything inside of us is hardwired to say, it's all about me. It's all about self. It's all my own doing. It's, I'm, I'm the person that's the center of the universe. You are, and I am, the center of our own universe so many times. So what's happening here is that it's completely otherworldly. When he says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, it's a... It's, a, it's receiving this idea that I have filthiness and that I have rampant wickedness and I have to receive with humility what the word is saying to me. But there's something inside of you and I that says it's all about me 
Why would I ever listen to that? Why would I ever listen to someone else speaking into my life? Why would I ever accept that? I lived my life like that for most of my uh, teenage years. I lived my life saying, I, I am the one who's in charge of my life, and no one else can speak into my life. When I was 15 years old, I came home absolutely plastered. I was a high school dropout. I was somebody who uh, I was just doing whatever I wanted. No one could speak into my life. And I was running around doing all kinds of crazy things. I came home plastered uh, to my house, and my parents gave me an ultimatum, and they said, either you move out or you can move to Texas with your aunt who is here today and my uncle. And for some reason, somehow God like, came into that moment. I was down the street in the woods getting high with my buddy. And my oldest brother was the last person I thought I would see at that moment. And he came down and he said, Matt, I think you need to go to Texas. And I said, I wasn't really planning on doing that. They just gave me a free ticket out of mom and dad's house to do whatever I wanted. But he said, no, I think you need to go. And so very soon I went home. I got packed and I left very quickly after that. And some things that I learned in my life was this that I have to have other people speak into my life. It began in that time in my life. When I began, when I began to work through things in my life and my, my aunt began to confront me on the way that I lived my life. And, I be, and for some reason, God, in his kindness, allowed me to begin to receive this and to say, yeah, I've got I've to change some things. I've got to allow some things to take place in my life. And as a result of even allowing that to take place in my life, the reason why I'm even standing here today is because I had that experience, and it's because on some level, God may, gave me the humility to say, I don't know what's best anymore. I don't know what's best in my life, and I have to have someone else speaking in my, in my life. And here's the same thing that's got to take place in your life, is that you have to be somebody who says, I am going to look outside of my own heart and my own feelings, and I'm going to receive with humility the implanted word of God. The implanted word of God has got to speak into my life, and I've got to hear it with this gentleness and receive it and say, yes, this is true. But so often, we do not give in to this. The idea of confronting people with their own sin is just abhorrent to our society. I read a, a story recently where a uh, college president had spoke from the word of God and he, he gave a, a message that was confronting his students with their sin. And one student came up and said, you know what, that's offensive to me because I felt unsafe when you said that. And it was kind of funny because he then went out and wrote a blog post and essentially said this, that is what the word of God is for. That is what we are here for. But our culture has turned into a culture of people who refuse to hear the word of God. They refuse to be confronted with their own sin. But here's the thing. It has to start in you. And how does it start? Let's look at this. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Stop right there for a second. This is what James is saying. He's saying, you can listen to a thousand sermons. 
You can podcast every great pastor you've ever heard of. You can do whatever you want. You can read your Bible every single morning. You can, you can get immersed in Christian culture. You can be somebody, but you and I both know there are so many people in our lives, there are so many people around us who claim to be Christians and yet do not act like it. And James says this, you are only deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself saying that somehow that, that, that you've got this figured out. You haven't received the implanted word of God with meekness. You haven't heard what God has had to say to you through his word. Your spirit resonating with what's, what's being said in the scriptures. You're essentially standing and ruling over the word of God saying, I am the God of my life. I am my own savior. I am the one who gets to decide what is and what isn't. Just like all of these commencement address givers have said. And James says, you are lying to yourself. And what are you lying to yourself about? I believe what he's talking about is that you're actually a Christian. And that's tough, isn't it? How many people do we know that turn around after years of being in the ministry and just leave the ministry? And their life, they're throwing their life away. They're doing whatever they want. How does this happen? It happens because it's somebody who hears the words. They can, they can say the words back to you, but they are not doing the words. They've deceived themselves. Every single Christian in this room, including myself, ha- myself I, uh, there's not many of me, just one. Uh, I'm really okay. I, uh, every single person in here has to ask themselves a, a question. You have to ask yourself, have I been deceiving myself all this time by saying that I'm a believer and yet I don't do squat of the word. Remember this. Let me, let me be real careful here. Of his own will, he brought us forth. He has birthed us so that we would be a, a, a first fruits, that we would be changed. It was God's doing. It was his grace that saved me. He's brought me to this place. James is fully acknowledging this. And that is that you could be a Christian and yet never really acting on this, but you may not be. You may not have ever acted on the word of God. You may not have ever listened to God speak into your life. You may be just somebody who's attending church. You may be somebody who appreciates worship music. You may be somebody who's reading the word and yet not receiving it with meekness and therefore never growing, never being confronted with the word of God. That's a scary word to us. I think James puts that in there for a reason. He says, you've got to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Verse 23, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who, for, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is somebody who's doing some self-reflecting. It's the hearer only. He's doing some self-reflection. He's looking in a mirror, the mirror of life. And he looks at himself and he says, you know what, I really need to do that. I, I, I really need to stop eating so much red meat. 
I, I really need to get better at this. But then he walks away and he forgets about that. He walks away and he forgets. And he, he never really confronts himself with the reality of who he, who he is becoming and who he is. So he's doing this self-reflection. And yet what's happening is this, that nothing's taking place in his life. He hears a sermon. It doesn't do anything. In one ear, out the other. Life is the same. He's somebody who hears a sermon about how God owns everything that you have. He's the one who has blessed you with all things that you have, and yet you never give back to him, or you don't give back proportionately to what God gives you. Yeah, I'm talking about money. We oftentimes, we don't take this seriously, and we say, you know what? This is mine. I made this. I, I made this money. These are my dollars and yet we never acknowledge God and say, God, you are the giver of all good things. You are the one who's, who, is, who is given these things. Jesus says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what's true about you and I when we hoard what we have is that what's taking place is this, is that I am saying that I know better about my life. When we say, like, I know better about my life, I heard the sermon about sexual purity, and yet I'm not engaging with purity in my own life. What, what, what James is saying is you're lying to yourself. You're following your heart. David Foster Wallace, who's, a, who's not even a Christian, can acknowledge to you we're hardwired with a desire to say that myself knows best. I'm the center of my universe. Everything I have and do should be all about me. Even he knows this. And so you and I have to know this. We have to say, listen, I'm hardwired to do whatever I want with my stuff whenever I want. And yet we never listen to the sermon. We don't let the word take root in our life. And we're people who are walking around as though we're believers and yet we're imposters. We're imposters. So that here's a man who's doing some self-reflecting. And the analogy here almost breaks down. You would expect him to say something similar in verse 25, but he doesn't. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. He, he breaks away from this mirror analogy and he says, but the one who looks at the law. Why does he say that? Because I'm self-deceived all the time. I'm self-deceived. I look in the mirror, I forget who I am. I, I, forget, I forget what's wrong with me. I'm, I'm self-deceived. I am not a good judge of me. I have to have people around me who are speaking into my life. I had to have, a, have an aunt and uncle who would, who would speak into my life. I have, to have my, I have to listen to my wife. I have to listen to her. Why? Because I'm so bad at self-assessment. I'm so bad at that. You know what? That's the core of who I am. I am not a good judge. In fact, I'm the worst judge that there is of self and so what James says here, he says, but the one who looks into the perfect law. What do you mean by this? It means this, I am most accurately assessing who I am when I am looking into the mirror of Scripture. When I look at Scripture and I read it, and, I, and, I'm, 
And I'm not just kind of breezing through it, just getting a couple minutes here or there, just checking a box saying, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I read my Bible occasionally. But when I'm actually looking at the word and I'm looking intently, that word is implied also in this area, even though he's talking about the, the mirror in the former thing. He's saying, but the one who looks into the perfect law, who's looking intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the one who does this, who looks into the law, sees in response an accurate reflection of who they are. I'm the worst judge of who I am. I'm the worst person in the world to say what is and what isn't. I have to have the word of God speak into my life. And if I don't, you know what takes place? I'm not confronting myself. I'm not hearing what God has to say. I'm not walking in the word. I have to hear back from the word. And I have to be somebody who doesn't forget, but somebody who acts on that. You didn't hear it if you don't act on it. You didn't hear it if you don't act on it. You didn't really take it to heart if you don't act on it. So he goes on. He will be blessed in his doing. Now, what, what does that mean? I think it could mean two different things. The blessing comes from this, that that's going to prove something about who you are. Of his own will, he brought me forth. And by me walking in the word, it says this, I am a lover of God. I want him to speak into my life. And it shows something about me. It shows that I truly want to follow him. It shows that I'm actually a believer. And the blessing comes as it's confirmed that that, that, that is who I am that I am truly a believer in Jesus Christ. There's a blessing in that, but there's also a blessing in this, that the wisdom of God comes to me, it confronts me on all of my inconsistencies. The fact that I was a flake when I was a kid, and I just did whatever I wanted, and I cheated whoever I wanted, and I did whatever felt good to me. When I was confronted with those things, and those things went away, what happened was this, is that I became somebody who received blessing from God and natural blessing at that. As I follow God's word, what happens is this, my life gets a little bit better. It doesn't always get better. Sometimes we have suffering. But what it says is this, is that there's blessing that comes even in that suffering as I grow. Oftentimes we're searching for uh, happiness, but what's really taking place What's really shaping us is the difficulty in our life. So I can even be happy about that, as James says earlier. And so what happens is this. I'm blessed in my doing. In order to honestly assess who I am, there must be some kind of comparison of me with God. I've got to have the word of God read me. I'm not just reading the word of God. The word of God is reading me. So what takes place is my life begins to change James wraps up with this. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't watch his tongue, bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. In case you were unclear about being deceived, he says, he says this. If you think that you are a Christian, if you think you're a worshiper of God, but you have a mouth that won't stop, you refuse to hear with humility, you, no one can speak into your life, if you refuse that, your religion is worthless. My religion is worthless. Verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's three ways, primary ways, that James, he's going to spell this out later, that's why I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this right now. 
There's three primary ways that we become people who are hearing from the word of God and we can see what's happening. And what's, what, what's taking place is this. We're able to control our tongue. We have concern for the helpless around us. And lastly, we have an avoidance of worldliness. We are people who are unstained from the world. We're increasingly becoming somebody who is different in our life. This is what's happening within us. As self-confrontation takes place, what really is happening is self-actualization. As we're confronting all of our ideas, all of our own wisdom, what's happening is this, is that self-actualization comes through self-confrontation through the word of God. Instead of saying, I have to love myself in order to be myself, I say this, I have to love God so much that I do what he asked me to do in order to be myself. I have to love God enough to say, that's what I want in my life. I want what you have. I want what you're doing in my life. I want you to, to take control over what's happening. I want you to do something in me. I want you to, to have something happen. I want you to make something happen in my, in my life. But I gotta tell you something. That none of this can take place unless you know Jesus Christ. None of, none of this has any effect. Like you can try to become a more moral person, but the problem is this, is that you'll just become more moral in order so that self can become more prideful. You'll begin to start taking pride in the fact that I've become more moral. You'll, be, you'll begin to do this. What's happening in our political arena? It's, it's, it's going back and forth. They're missing each other. Well, what's taking place? What's happening is that they can't ever seem to come to the same place because there's no forgiveness that's going either way. There's no reconciliation. There's no way to do that because in our world, if I'm right, I'm right. If I've self-actualized according to the world, what's taking place is this, is that I am the center of the universe. It's all about self. It's about my political party. No one else is right. But the gospel says something else. The gospel says this, that though I didn't deserve forgiveness, God gave it to me anyway. We, we oftentimes in our marriages, we say, you know, when they are deserving of love, I will give love. But right now, they're not deserving of it. She hasn't done this for me or he hasn't done this for me. You know, when the people who disagree with me politically deserve my respect, then I'll respect them. But that only makes things go from bad to worse, doesn't it? It only makes things just progress even further and further. So what's happening? Our world is going from bad to worse, and what's taking place is that nothing is ever going to come to conclusion. So what has to happen? There has to be some type of reconciliation. There has to be a redemption element. And how does that come? It only comes through Jesus Christ on the cross. In fact, what uh, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, is really influential. He says, in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us 
his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. And what's, what that's saying, it's saying that Jesus has done something so that you can begin to become like Jesus. You can be a partaker of this divine nature. What's going to happen is it's going to change you. It's going to make you different. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, he says, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about building character. He's talking about you've got to make every effort. Why? Because he has birthed you He has given you new life. And the expectation is that you would be somebody who's producing the righteousness of God, bringing healing and restoration to our city and to the people around us because of this, because you're able to control yourself, because you love people unconditionally. Instead of saying, I'm going to love you when you deserve it, you say, I'm going to love you because I've been loved and I didn't deserve it. And so what, what Peter says here in verse 8, it says, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. The reason why we don't grow because we have this level of pride. This level of pride says this, I have made this. I'm the center of my universe. What Peter says right here is he says, if you're not growing, it's because you've forgotten that Jesus, although he was worthy of every amount of respect and love and honor, he was spit upon, he was rejected, he was beaten, and then he was nailed to a piece of wood. And why did he do that? Because he loves you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he decided to suffer for you. And why did he suffer for you? So that you could suffer for others. So that you would lay down your pride and you, you say, because Jesus laid his, his honor and everything that he deserved in his glory, I can lay down my pride. I can lay down everything that I have because Jesus has done this for me. There has to be a redemptive element. You can't just be moral. You'll just be moral for self. You'll be, you'll be moral so that you, you can be seen as moral. But all it does is it just bolsters your pride. It, may, it causes you to be somebody who says, no, I really have what it takes. I'm really that kind of person. But you need Jesus more than you realize it. And so here's the word for today. Self-confrontation leads to self-actualization through the word of God. The word of God and the self-confrontation that that brings, brings about changes that allow me to be who I'm truly supposed to be because the creator is the one who's telling me how it works. I have to look to the designer in order to understand how I should operate. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I want to pray for us here in this room this morning. 
or so many of us have um, been incorrectly informed and we've taken and borrowed bits from the world and perhaps from other churches that are not teaching the word and we've said that I just need to rely on my own inner voice and not the word that's been implanted in me and not the law of God that comes to me and brings about life and brings about this reality that you want me to experience. So Lord, I want to pray for those in here that may be thinking, you know what, that, that is me. Lord, I, I'm praying that they would rest assured in your forgiveness and in your grace this morning that what you're calling them to is to fully live out the faith that they have. Lord, for those that are here and just saying, you know what, I'm not sure that I do have real faith. Lord, today is the day for them to say, you know what, I need to act on this. I need to act on this. I, I desire that in my life. Lord, that is an incredible indicator that they truly want what you want in their lives. Lord, I pray that they would be fertile soil for the word of God. And Lord, that you would bring about true life changes in them. It's in your name we pray. Amen.